Welcome to another exciting weekend message from Encounter Church. For more information, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jared Lanza, and I'm the lead pastor here at Encounter Church. It's my pleasure to welcome you. If this is your first time uh, with us today, I want to say welcome. Um, today's a very special day. We have our acoustic sort of unplugged service uh, going on, and right after service today, we have we also have our um, our Thanksgiving edition food day. It's going to be delicious. It's going to be great. If this is your first time with us, you are welcome to stay as our guest. In fact, you can get in line first. And if you didn't bring anything, don't worry about it. Um, you're part of our family today. So please join us. Uh, today we are uh, continuing our series, Thanksgiving. And we uh, have been going through the, the Psalm 100. It's five verses, and each week we have taken one verse from the book of Psalm 100 or from the chapter of 100 in Psalm. And the first week, we talked about intense joy and how um, there is a response to God that when we find out who he is, that we should have a joy that is so overwhelming. And then last week, we talked about a ferocious love, a love that is burned so deeply that we want to serve him with everything we have. Um, and today, we're going to talk about another, another response, proper response to who God is. But before we do that, I would like us to read Psalm 100 together, uh, as we have done each week so far. I think there's just something powerful about a corporate a group of people speaking truth of God's word together. So let's, let's uh, all read Psalm 100 together out loud. The words from the verses should be on the screen. So let's read together out loud. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good, his unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Amen. Thank you, God, that you are so faithful and loving. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, exploring verse 3. And verse 3 um, is, is very specific in what it says, and it's on the screen as well. And it says, acknowledge that the Lord is God. So very, it's a very clear command. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. That's interesting. So we've been talking about uh, the first first two weeks of this series, that, that in every verse we see something about who God is, but then there's a response that we should have. And so today's response, the response to acknowledging who God is, is interactive faith. So verse three is interactive faith. Week one was an intense joy, that we should have an intense joy for who God is. We should live our life that way. Week two was that there should be a ferocious love, that God loves us that way, but we should also respond in service to him ferociously. And this week, we're going to be talking about interactive faith. Interactive faith. This is, this is a back-and-forth type of relationship. Um, back-and-forth. The definition for interactive, I looked up this week, says mutually or reciprocally active. That means that, that in any kind of a relationship, there should be more than just one party involved. That there are, um, that it is a reciprocal relationship. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're interacting with means they're both responding. Another way to say that is, and I love this, requiring people to talk with each other or do things together. That's a great definition for interactive. 
Let me read that again. Requiring people to talk to each other or do things together. Now, if you think about that, any relationship that we have, it's not a relationship unless you have that interaction. You have to be able to talk to somebody and they have to talk back. If you're going to have a relationship, you need to do something with someone and they do it back. That's an interaction. And so when I was a youth pastor, I recognized this concept um, that, that we have been moving into an ever-increasing interactive age where it is required uh, of, 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 of anybody who wants to get anything from someone or market to someone or, or have someone experience something, it needs to be not static. It needs to be more interactive. And so when I was a youth pastor, I really tried to find ways to get the students in our ministry involved. And so for one Easter, uh, I was actually really excited about this. Instead of having a typical Easter service where we would have worship and we would have a, a message and, and, you know, the standard sort of things you get at church, what we did that day instead was we turned down the lights and we created stations around the, around the youth ministry room that we had. And the entire service time was, was just a moment of, of each individual just taking a few moments at each of the stations, and they were very interactive. Um, some examples were um, one, one station we had a, a bowl full of ice cubes, and the idea was is to take a piece of ice and put it in your palms and to close your eyes and, and sort of let the ice melt onto your palms of your hands and feel a little bit of the sting. And the idea there was is while that's happening, reflect on the cross. Okay, the idea of, of, of the pain that Jesus went through for us. Another station had, had a video uh, that was kind of playing on a loop that had um, images of the cross and had images of the stone being rolled away from the tomb. You know, we had a, a, a lantern that you could cut out pieces of uh, sort of that stained glass paper and put it across. And so as the, the day went on, it became lit up with the little different colors that people do. We did various stations in order so that the students could interact with something that day. We understand this concept of interaction, right, in our own lives. Everything we do needs to be interactive now. For example, smartphones and the app. I remember just, what, five, six, seven years ago, the iPhone revolutionized the world. The iPhone came out. It was the first time that your phone was more than just something you picked up and dialed. Now it was a game system. Now it was a movie watcher. It was a music listener. It was, uh, and then the concept of the app. I remember people like, what's an app? And you say, oh, it's just short for application. But then now everybody in the world knows what an app is. Apps are designed to be interactive. They're designed to be catering to our needs and to be able to interact with our computers. We understand that. Classrooms are another example. You know, in the classroom environment, we, we know about interaction. In fact, the, in modern public schools, my daughter and my son are in, uh, are in grade school, and the, the curriculum is actually being designed around making it more interactive for the students so that they can learn because they are discovering that as students can learn things for themselves, they, they retain information, you know, stronger. And so in classroom environments and even at work environments, we, we seek out opportunities for interaction. How many of you have ever been in a training for a new job and you said, this training is the most boring thing of my life because I just sit there and listen to a trainer all day? Anybody? Okay. How many of you have ever been in, though, a training environment where you actually got to interact with your job instead? Anybody? Just a few? Okay, you guys are missing out. But it is a much better experience because now you get a chance to try out the thing that they're talking about, right? So interaction, jobs, variety, <clears throat> excuse me, even workplace environments. There are now work share environments where people can all come together and they rent a space, but they all work together in locations at tables or in offices 
from different companies to share ideas and interact with each other. So this concept of interaction is something I think that we all, uh, that we all identify with, but I don't know if we always think very clearly or even think very often about the concept of an inter- interactive faith. And what we see in verse 3, let's read it again. Verse 3 says, Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are His. Well, that sounds one-sided. But then it says, We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. And that implies some sort of action on His part as well. And so God desires for us to have the same kind of relationship where we are interactive and reciprocal where we talk to each other, like that other definition said, where it requires talking to each other, it requires, uh, you know, doing things together. And that's not always something that we think about with God, I think, is, okay, well, I get it, I could pray to him, and that is me talking to him, but does he talk back? And I can go to church and I can serve him, but is there something that he does back? We're going to find out today that the answer to that is yes. And so let's read it one more time, verse 3, Psalm 100, verse 3, says, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. So our big idea of the day, the thing that kind of sets the tone for this entire, this entire message is this, is that interactive faith requires two parties. Two parties. Interactive. In order for our faith in God to be interactive, it requires, it requires two people. And so in your program today, uh, when you came in, there are some sermon notes. I encourage you to pull those out. And uh, we have pens on the tables up here. If you don't have one, I encourage you to take notes, fill in the blanks, uh, bring your Bible to church. We're going to be, you know, reading out of the Bible every single week. It's important to know how to read your Bible. So the big idea is that interactive faith requires two parties. It has to be a back and forth. I can't just have faith in God if it's just me believing. And it can't be faith in anything. It can't be a relationship if it's just God up there. And there are lots of people out there who Jesus died for on the cross who don't have a relationship with God. So it can be one-sided either way, but an interactive faith requires two separate parties. And so the responsibilities of our interactive faith. So if there's two parties, that means that each of us have something to do in that relationship. And let's explore that a little bit. The first responsibility of interactive faith is our responsibility. It starts with us, okay? And that means acknowledging God as creator. That's the very first thing that we need to do that verse 3 outlines. Acknowledge that God is our creator. I mean, everything starts here. This is the foundation of our relationship with God. This is the foundation of everything is that we have to acknowledge who he is. We have to acknowledge him as creator. Well, how do I know that? Well, verse 3 starts with saying, acknowledge that the Lord is God. Well, what does that mean? Okay, so the Lord is God. And so that word Lord, when we talked before a couple weeks ago, we said anytime you see L-O-R-D in capital letters, that means that's the name of God that is being described there. Yahweh is his name. We sing the song, The Great I Am. When Moses asked God, hey, who should I say is sending me to talk to Pharaoh? And you guys know the story about Pharaoh uh, fighting to, to release the Israelites and the 10 plagues and all that thing. Moses was sent and he met God in a burning bush. And he said, well, who should I send, say send? me. And he said, my name is Yahweh. I am that I am. He says, I am the greatest. I am everything encapsulated into my name and the power of it. So when it says the Lord is God, what it's saying is, is recognize the power, 
Recognize the majesty. Recognize his sovereignty. That's a word. It's a fancy sort of Christian word that we use, sovereignty of God. What does that mean? Sovereignty means that God is so big, God is so powerful, that God knows what is going to happen. He knows why it's going to happen. He knows what should happen. He will make it happen. He has the ability to make it happen. Nothing can stop it from happening. Sovereignty means that he can do whatever he wants and that there is no one who has the ability to tell him otherwise. Now, the good thing is, is that, you know, that God is not an abuser, that God will not abuse his power, that God, in his perfection, in his ability, knows what is right. He knows how to do things. He can take an awful, terrible circumstance and transform it into something powerful and something life-giving. What the, what the enemy has meant for evil in your life, God's sovereignty means that he has the ability to take it and transform it and rob the devil of what he was trying to steal from you and to turn it into something that will challenge you and change you forever. And there's so many verses in Scripture that talk about that. And, it, and it's just amazing. So that what it's encouraging us to say is know who it is that we serve. We serve a God, the God who created the universe, the God who created me and you. He is amazing. He's powerful. And that should inspire a certain awe in us. So that word awesome that we use all the time, man, that's awesome. That cheeseburger was awesome. Man, those tacos from Taco Bell are awesome. But in reality, there is only one who is awe-inspiring and awesome. That is, that is God Almighty. You know, like when we know what he has done, when we look at the mountains and the trees, we see the beauty of what he has done with his hands, with the snap of his fingers. That is awe-inspiring. And so it tells us to acknowledge that the Lord is God, that he is the creator, the master. But then it says, he made us and we are his. So this implies a pecking order. That this implies a, a certain stance that we, that we should find ourselves in, a position or a posture that we should find ourselves in. That if God is who he says he is, if that first part of verse 3 is that he is, that he is God, he is sovereign, he's the great I am, he is the amazing one, he is Yahweh. What that means is that we acknowledge that, that that shows us that there is somewhere that we are below him. I don't know about you, but I can't make mountains spring up out of the rivers. I can't, you know, cause the trees to grow at my whim. I can't uh, just, just snap my fingers and, and human beings just, you know, sprout out of the ground. I can't do any of these things, but God can. And because of that, when we acknowledge him, when we acknowledge him, we see that there is ownership involved. And we talked a little bit about this last week, that the concept of like the word that we used for, for worship the Lord, it says serve. It was uh, the Hebrew word for serve, and it was saying serve as though as though you recognize that God is the master in your relationship and you are a servant or a slave that has been purchased. And we know that God is a good God and does not abuse. And so, so when we take that a step further and we say we know who God is and we see that pecking order, that we know that I am not God, and it says he made us. We recognize that he created us, that he is the one, that we wouldn't be here if he hadn't thought of us first. And in order to do this, then we are his. That implies ownership. And so sometimes we struggle with this idea of ownership, especially in the Western culture. We think, about, we think about ownership and say, nobody owns me. I'm my own person, right? We think about that I'm my own individual, that no one tells me what to do. And even some people go as far as to say that they are their own God. And we know. And we just know that that's ridiculous. 
Like you can't be a God and, and not even be able to pay your own bills. Like that's just, that's just silly, okay? And so, so when it says that, that there's ownership implied, that we are his because he made us, that means, that means that there is a relationship that we should have, that our job, our life should be to acknowledging who he is. It says our responsibility is to acknowledge that he is creator. And that shapes our attitudes. This shapes our decisions. When we view our lives within the framework of that God is telling us how to live our life, we should hear what he's saying to us and receive it as almost like a command, like, like, listen, this is what I want you to do today. So when a servant wakes up in the morning to go take care of his master or to take care of his master's work or his home or his estate, when he goes, whether he's a slave or he's paid, it doesn't matter, a servant in the house, when he gets up in the morning, his job is to go find the orders, the command for the day. What do you want me to do today? I want you to clean the living room. We have a party tonight, so I want you to make sure that the food is ready. Talk to the chefs and make sure that this is prepared. I want you to clean this hallway. I want you, whatever it might be, your job as a servant is to find out what the master wants and then to implement it. And so when we live our lives, our daily lives, and we think, okay, if, if I am God's, if he made me and we are his, what does God want from me today? What would he like to accomplish in my life today? That's interaction. Our responsibility, first and foremost, is to see God for who he is. We have to acknowledge that he is the master. He is the creator. That's the responsibility. That's our side of the interactive faith. Well, the other side of this, of this interactive faith is that it's God's responsibility. And what is that? That is care for his creation, so if verse 3 says, acknowledge that the Lord is God, he made us and we are his. That's our part. Acknowledge who he is, recognize what he's done. But then it says, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And so it's saying, that implies that if he is the, we are the sheep of his pasture, that means that he's the shepherd. That means that it's his responsibility to take care of his sheep. And so it says, we are his people. And so because we acknowledge him, now this is great news that comes. We acknowledge who God is. The great news is that we are now part of his family, that he welcomes us. And he says, you were once strangers, but now I call you my own. I call you my son. I call you my daughter. You're part of a royal family now. When you follow Jesus, when you, when you, when you acknowledge his son, and, and the Bible says, it says, if you acknowledge with your mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, that you will be saved. When you do that and you acknowledge the power of who God is, it says that we become part of his family. We are adopted in. I don't know about you, but I would, I would love to be a part of the family of God that has the power to create a universe, that has the power to heal diseases, that has the power to be able to dynamically change life circumstances and mend marriages and restore people of, from drug addictions that's the God that we serve. That's the, that's the family that we get to be a part of. And so when we acknowledge God, we become a part of that. And he identifies us as one of his own. We become one of his sheep. We're not one of the sheep out in, in the roaming land anymore. Now we actually have a home. We have a pasture that we can graze in. We will always be provided for. We are a child of the king. The Bible calls, calls Jesus the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's basically what that's saying. I mean, this sounds old school to us, right? If any of you have grown up in church, you've sung songs about the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it sounds old because we don't use the word Lord and we don't use the word king in American culture. But we understand what they mean. And so when it says he's the Lord of lords, when he is the king of kings, it means that there is no one above him. 
that everyone bows down before him in the end. And we are a son and a daughter of the king. That means that we've got privilege. That means that we have, that we have authority. That means that when you and I walk into the world because we carry the name, it's not my name on my badge here. When I'm, you know, if you ever watch like shows like Game of Thrones or you've seen like any, any modern or any, any kind of medieval or fantasy uh, movies or TV shows, when a king comes somewhere, he has a signet on him. He has a sigil. And anybody who knows, anybody who sees that flag, anybody who sees that sigil knows that if it's the king or anyone carrying it, that you are walking under the authority of that king. And so that's the same thing for us because we are his people. We are now part of his family. We walk around, okay, the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit puts a seal in us, like a sigil, like a signal ring right inside of our heart that seals us. And it says that the enemy knows that we belong to the family of God. We have authority. We walk inside of that authority that the king, that when I say something because of under the authority of Jesus Christ, that it must be done. This is powerful stuff. We are part of that family. And he intimately knows us. But it also says that we are the sheep of his pasture, and that means it's a shepherd and sheep relationship. I don't know about you. I don't know a lot about sheep. And I don't know a lot about shepherds. But I did a little bit of research to kind of find out a little bit about them. We know that shepherd's job is to take care of the sheep. We know that their job is to fight off um, any, any predators that might come to try to attack the sheep. We know that um, basically they kind of hang out on the hillside and, and just sort of move them around and protect them and take care of them and make sure that they're safe. And so they care very deeply for their, for their sheep. And so, I don't know, Psalm 23, I think you've read it many, many times. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, he makes me lay down by green pastures. And, and we, we know this. But there's a, there's a part in that, that passage of Scripture, in that psalm, that I think maybe we gloss over or we don't fully understand. And it says this. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, most of the time, I think when we read that, we think, how is that possible? A rod sounds like something you're going to beat me with, and the staff sounds like something you just kind of carry here. But the real purpose of them is that they're tools in the hands of the shepherd. So what, what, the, what the shepherd does is with the staff, it's one, of those, it's one of those curved staffs. Okay, so we see it, it's sort of it's curved. This is the ability to protect and to guide. So when a sheep is sort of roaming off, he kind of hooks the sheep around the neck and yanks him in a little bit, okay? It, it's, it's a protection, it's a guidance. So when, imagine trying to have 100 sheep in a pasture and you're trying to get them to go to the waterhole area, okay? I mean, that's going to be difficult. So you're going to have to sort of move them along and there's going to be a couple who want to go over here to this little grass area and you're going to have to grab them and pull them and, you know, maybe they're kind of getting too close to the edge of a cliff or something like that. So this staff that we have pulls you along. And so when David was saying in Psalm 23 that your rod and your staff, they comfort me, he's saying, I know that there is someone greater. I know that the creator, the great shepherd, is out there watching over me. He has that staff. And when I go too far off because I'm not paying attention, because sheep are stupid, they're dumb animals. If one jumps off the cliff, the others are just going to just fall off the hill. And God doesn't want to see that happen. So the shepherd pulls him with his staff, but he also has a rod. And that rod is to beat, but it's not just, it's not for his sheep particularly. It's for the enemies. When a wolf comes or when a predator comes into the pasture, the shepherd stands up and gets in between his sheep and that predator. And he has a staff. He has his, his rod and he fights them off with that rod. And God protects us. 
He fights for us. And so not only is it our responsibility to acknowledge God as creator, but then the reciprocal part of that is is that because we are now a part of his family, we are the sheep in his pasture. His responsibility is to care for his creation. He promises to be with us. He promises to guide us, and he promises to fight for us. So much so, this, this very concept of the sheep and the shepherd, Jesus talks about it in Matthew 18, 12. He tells a story about a hundred sheep. He says, suppose a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them goes missing. He says, wouldn't that shepherd who cares so deeply for his sheep, wouldn't he leave the 99 and go find the one and go searching for the one shepherd or one sheep? That's how much our creator cares about us, how much he loves us. That's why when you don't come to church for a few weeks, your pastor or somebody calls you up and says, hey, we miss you. Is everything okay? It's not like out of like nagging. It's not like, you know, like if you haven't come to life group or you haven't come to different things or whatever, or we just haven't seen you in a little while, we're so excited to see you. That's the same concept of we are thrilled because when that shepherd finds the one sheep, ah, all is right in the world. Let's throw a party. All my sheep are back in the pen. We're all a family. I'm not worried anymore. That's what it's like. That's what relationships have. That's an interactive faith. That's how God feels about us. And so every person that doesn't know Jesus is the one sheep that is roaming out in the wild, lonely and lost and afraid. And some of those sheep feel like they are okay out there. Some of those sheep feel like they, that they're happy and that, oh, you know what, I'm good. I don't need a shepherd. But in reality, we know that they do. And so when we when we bring those sheep into the, back into this pen, when, we, when they know who Jesus Christ is and they begin a relationship with him, heaven says, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices and throws a party because of them. And the sheep then come to love their shepherd. And oftentimes we see our relationship with God as static or one-sided. Like I mentioned that earlier, that we think so oftentimes it's like, yeah, I... I feel like I go to church. I feel like maybe I read my Bible or I listen to Christian music, but what does God do back? And we know that he protects us. So the question really then becomes, well, how do I interact with God? How do I interact? So we know that there's two responsibilities. My responsibility is to acknowledge him as creator and and my attitudes and shift my responsibility to him. But his responsibility is that he has to care for us. So now that we know what interactive faith is like, how can we interact with God? And there's two ways. The first is learning. Learning. This is learning about who God is. This is learning about his ways, learning about what the creator wants. What is the creator like? What is, what is it that if I know that he is the master, that he is all-powerful, what does that mean for me? What does that mean he thinks about me? What does that mean that he, he wants me to live life like? If he designed all of creation and physics and, and biology and all the laws of the universe were created by him, Doesn't it make sense that you and I would seek out that creator's opinion on how things in my life should be, should work? And so when we we can do that by reading scripture, scripture is all about who God is and how he should, how he wants to interact with us and the desires he has for us. When we read the Bible and we read it and we study it and we learn things from it, we learn about who God is and we interact with him that way because we're learning about our creator. There's other books. There's Christian books. You can go to any Christian bookstore and pick up books about prayer, about worship, about what it means to have an authentic faith. If you, if you struggle with this idea of experiencing God or having a faith that is alive, there are so many books out there that have been written by amazing authors that will encourage you 
I could recommend several to you myself if, if, you, uh, if you're ever interested. If you don't want to, you know, if you want to read some books in addition to your Bible, you know, there's some great books out there. Spiritual disciplines is another thing that we can learn about and interact with God. We learn about who God is by different methods. If you feel like, man, I read my Bible every day, but I just, I wish there was something I could do more that would help me maybe just freshen this relationship up a little bit. Just like my relationship with my wife or anybody who's in any relationship, you know, if you go to the same restaurant every single week for your date, eventually you're going to go, man, I wish we could do something else. You want to spice it up a little bit and freshen it up. The same thing is true in your relationship with God. There are different ways that you, can, that you can interact with him. And so these are called spiritual disciplines. There's things like prayer and fasting. There's things like solitude and silence. There's things like meditation. There's giving. There's, there's serving. There's, um, uh, there's just a variety of, of different ways that you can focus on one of those things. And you'll find that in that place, in that moment, that God will meet you there, maybe in a different way. That's why we did this acoustic sort of setup, because we wanted to take a different approach to worship today. We want to say, yeah, there's a time to be loud, and there's a time to be, you know, the full-on, let's just rock and roll for Jesus. And then there's other times where we want to sit back and say, let's just, let's just get intimate with God today. You know, there's a time where Heather and I, we go to Kennywood and we have a blast. And there's other times where we have a nice, quiet date at a restaurant. It's the same thing. You know, there's different ways to interact with God and through prayer. So, well, the first way we interact with God is through learning, but the second is through experiencing. So this is, again, that interaction. First, I learn who he is, but then I experience him. And that's applying Scripture. So now, not only did I read Scripture, and I've been reading from these books, I now make the choice to apply what I'm reading into my life. Otherwise, it's just knowledge. And again, it's just one-sided I know a lot about God, but I don't know God. You, you follow me on that? You have, to, you have to be able to now apply that. My wife can tell me all the time the things that she likes, but if I don't ever respond. My wife loves Butterfingers. If I don't ever bring her a Butterfinger home, that's great. But I know that, but it doesn't help. Same thing with flowers. If I don't ever show her that I love her, or if I don't ever apply the things that I've learned about my wife, then I'm not experiencing what my relationship with her could be. So we need to apply Scripture. There's also listening to the Holy Spirit. God promises that he will speak to us. So part of experiencing God is by, is by listening to his Spirit inside of us. And the Spirit, let me just be clear, the Spirit of God will always affirm what you find in Scripture. Why is that? Because the Scripture was inspired by God. So if God wrote the Bible... God is not going to contradict himself when he speaks to you. So if you ever feel like there's something inside of you that is speaking something, you're like, wow, I feel like God was saying that to me today, match it up with what Scripture says. If it doesn't apply to what Scripture teaches, then it's not God. And it could be some other influence in your life. It could just be your thoughts, or it could be an, you know, a, a, an evil presence or some kind of uh, oppression that is trying to pull you away from God. God's Word says the truth, and the Holy Spirit will always speak and affirm what we find in Scripture. I just want you to make sure you know that, okay? But listening to the Holy Spirit is powerful. God speaks to us in our darkest times. It will remind us of what Scripture teaches, and we can experience God. We learn about God in intimate ways through His Holy Spirit. Because it lives inside of us. The Bible tells us that when we follow Jesus, that the Spirit of God actually comes and dwells inside of us. It lives inside of us. It regenerates our soul, and he lives and dwells in us. And so with the Spirit living in us, when I'm frustrated or I'm down and I just stop and I pause and I maybe practice some of those spiritual disciplines that we were talking about a moment ago, when we do one of those things, if I get alone 
And I go to a, a silent place and I just stop and I say, God, I am so just frustrated. This day sucks. Help me. And I just stop. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will just speak like in a whisper deep in my heart. And it just encourages me. So it's going to be okay. Or maybe sometimes he reminds me of a passage of Scripture that reminds me of a truth in Scripture. You know? Other times it's promptings. Sometimes you experience God through his power being lived out and through you. And so one day I was at, I was at Dairy Queen um, over in the Avalon area, Bellevue area. And uh, I was buying some ice creams, and there were these two teenagers who were sitting, who were standing in front of me in line. And I just sat there, and I, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me and said, buy those guys their ice cream. And I was like, really? <laughs> and I just, I just kind of sat there for a minute and thought about it, said, was that the pizza I just had a minute ago? Or, and I just very felt just strongly. I think you'll know, like you'll just know there's a difference between an, an inkling and like a prompting of God. The Holy Spirit speaking to your heart will kind of almost gnaw at you until you do it, you know? And so I, I, I said, okay. So I said, hey guys, I just want to I I, I buy you uh, your ice cream. I know it sounds weird, but um, I just, I'm a Christian and I felt like God was just saying to do that for you. Um, and so I did, I bought their ice cream and I gave it to them. And before they walked away, I felt like God wanted me to tell them something. And so um, it was pretty clear, it was simple, but I just, I stopped and said, hey guys, I said, you know, I'm glad you like the ice cream. And again, I don't want to sound weird, but I just felt like God wanted me to tell you that he loves you and he's not, he's not forgotten about you. He knows where you, he knows your situation. I don't know what that is, but I feel like he does. And he just wanted me to tell you that. And I, I don't know what, if that did anything for those guys, you know, but I mean, they weren't like, they didn't like cuss me out and like punch me in the face or anything. I mean, they, they, they were like, thank you. I mean, they're teenagers. So, you know, oftentimes teenagers don't get overly expressive, <laughs> but you know, they're like, all right, man, thank you. Yeah, it's cool. And, uh, and they went on their way. And I don't know if that dramatically changed anyone's life, but I know that it did mine one day. I think I've told that story before, too. I was a teenager, and a lady, a soccer mom lady on the side of the road, felt like God said, talk to this young man in a black trench coat walking down the side of the road. It looks like he's about to rob a convenience store. And, and, and she stopped, and she came, and she said, listen, I, um, I just want you to know that uh, God told me to stop, and he said he has not forgotten about you. He loves you. And in that moment, I pray that in the moment that I met with those two kids at Dairy Queen, I pray in my heart that, that something happened in their heart the way it did with mine. God reached down from heaven through a person and spoke directly to them through his Holy Spirit and spoke to me. And then I spoke to them in the same way. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. You can interact with it. And I learned something about God that day. One, in the morning when I was the teenager, I learned that God is so powerful that there is no one that he can't save. There is no one that, that he can't use to reach someone who seems far away from God. But on the day that I spoke to those teenagers, I learned that God speaks to me and uses me and that he can transform a life in the most ordinary of circumstances. And so if you want to experience God, you need to be listening for the Holy Spirit speaking inside of your heart in ways that he might want to challenge you and change someone else's life. And this is also done through relationships and serving. We you know, at church, we have our dream team, we have our life groups, and we have these incredible opportunities, incredible places to get to know people. And as we live life together, as we set up, you know, stuff and we get ready to, 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 have, to sing songs to Jesus and we prepare this place every week for, for, uh, for, for, for worship on Sundays, 
Or when during the middle of the week and we go to each other's houses in our life groups and we eat together and we spend time together and we pray together, as we do that, God promises is when one, two or more are gathered, he is with us. He promises that he is there. And we learn about God in interactions with each other. We learn what God is like because maybe I'm not listening that great today. Maybe my, you know, on the alarm clock on that little dial and it gets slightly off of the, the channel you want. You hear the static. That may be your life that day. But then somebody else in the life group that day is tuned in perfectly. And they say something at that life group that day, you know, that just encourages you. And God speaks through that person to you. That's relationships at work. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can interact with God by learning and by experiencing. And so the benefit of all of this, the benefit of learning who God is and experiencing who God is, is healthy, interactive relationships. A healthy, interactive relationship. This is about growing and it's about caring. We grow in who God is, and then he cares for us. That's the interaction, the interactive faith. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And if I could just paraphrase out to that, and he promises to take care of us. It's beautiful. So our challenge for the day is this. Interact with God daily. Interact with him. How can we do that? And, and so you see over here on the, the, the right side of the stage, on the left side of, uh, of the auditorium, we have our three E's that we say, experience God, explore faith, and express publicly. This is sort of the mode that we experience God, the way that we interact with him. We, in, we experience God daily through prayer and through Bible reading, through those things that I mentioned, by coming to church, by spending time with each other, by living life that way. We experience God in our lives by listening to the Holy Spirit. We explore faith. Exploring means not having all the answers and being okay with saying, I don't think I fully understand everything and my life doesn't match up the way that it should and I'm not sure how I feel about that. I don't know if I'm ready to make that change yet in my life because I really like this thing that I'm doing. But the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, listen, this is, where, this is what I want for you. This is the best way for you. Just come with me and I'll teach you exploring and asking questions, getting into life groups and, and having questions. Some of the best conversations that we've had, some of the people that we've had in this church, the best place they've told me, man, I love our life groups because I'm just learning things that I never thought I would. Exploring faith in God and then expressing it, taking it upon myself to say, God, I'm so grateful for what you've done in my life. Thank you for the relationships that I have. And now expressing my gratitude and my love through worship of Jesus. When we sing songs, let's sing together. When we respond in our response, let's respond together from our heart. Let's, let's stand up and let's join teams. Let's serve each other. Let's serve God. Let's make this place ready for people who walk in the door. Let's, let's have our outreaches. We have our, our Light Up Lawrenceville and our Cookie Mall that we talked about. Sign up for those that, to volunteer and to serve our community after church at the Connection Center. These are all ways to express what God has done. So my challenge to you is to, is to interact with God on a daily basis. Make it real. Come on. Thanks for listening to this message from Encounter Church. If you call Encounter Home or if you would like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving options. Just go to EncounterPGH.com and click on the Support Encounter tab on the left side. This is a quick and simple way to stay up to date with your regular giving. We hope you join us next week.